0: pause your word counts, and enjoy. I would like to welcome John Kuzik, agent and VP with Folio Literary Management and Folio Jr. He's the author of Girl Parts and Cherry Money Baby, and he is Mostly Harmless. That's from his Twitter bio. Welcome, John.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So
1: John taught a really amazing class. We had a really fun recording day in the folio offices, which are incredible. Can I talk a little bit about like the amazing stuff? that's Oh my gosh, I want to hear.
0: Tell us.
2: I was super excited for just to see it because we had just finished uh, renovating and expanding our offices. So they're all fancy and new and bigger than they used to be. So yeah, I'm very excited about (laughs) the office space that I work in.
1: It's so cool. It's in this building that, like, starts out deco on the outside, but it's super tech-savvy on the inside, and it's beautiful. So this is a class not just about first lines, but about first impressions. Why does the first line matter, and why does the first impression matter?
2: You know, to start with, every word in your book should matter, right? You should, you should always be choosing your words carefully. And, um, why not your first line? Why shouldn't your first line be something really impactful and exciting and grabbing? Um, you know, your first line is really, you know, it's, it's the world's first impression of you as, as a writer. It's the first impression of your, of your book. And so you want to make it something that's really going to grab people and, and maybe even stay with them. Um, you know, and for me as an agent, you know, frequently I read the query letter first and then the sample pages. Um, so the query letter is a big, is a big thing for me. And that's a whole conversation unto itself, but I really learn so much about an author based on how they, they open their, their work. And it tells me a lot about who this person is in a very, in a very short span of time. Um, so there's, uh, the tremendous reason for really focusing on your first line is creating the, the best first impression you can.
1: I also feel like sometimes one line can carry so much energy that you know right away if you want to know more. Have you ever had that experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes my favorite openings aren't even ones that are necessarily the most weird or or out there by any means. They're just really concrete. Like I love to see a book open with scene or like some physical detail because I immediately have something to imagine, and that pulls me right into the story. You know, right off the bat. Um, and books that sort of tend to open with monologue or sort of long, you know, sort of backstory or or, or whatnot. There's just less to picture. I guess I must be a really visual person. Um, but yeah those, those books that really open with a really clear image, um, are some of my favorites. Like, um, Neil Gaiman's graveyard book always jumps into my mind. And I think the opening line is something like, um, there was a, there was a hand in the darkness and the hand held a knife, like, Ooh, it's such a great image to open on, you know?
0: I love that. Neil Gaiman is that, that book trailer, just as a side is one of my favorites. So John, did you ever feel like you knew something was, or was not a good fit just from the first line?
2: Yeah. um, You know, an example actually comes to to mind, and it's um, Saints and Misfits by S.K. Ali, which was called Saints, Misfits, Monsters, and Mayhem um, when she first submitted it to me. And um, the first line of that book, if if I'm going to get this right, is just the words, I'm in the water. Mm. and it's so simple, Um, but it really, really grabbed me. Um, That present tense is really great. It's uh, a physical description, right, immediately, and there's also something sort of chilling about um, how simple it is, like I'm in the water. I don't know, usually when people are in the water, they're happy about it, right, unless something really bad is going on, Um, and by the way, this isn't, you know, Saints and Misfits isn't a thriller. It's um, a contemporary young adult, um, sort of of coming-of-age story, Um, but the opening is sort of sad, and that first line, as simple as it is, just really grabbed me and kind of encapsulated the tone of the um, opening chapters.
1: It's also really nice in its simplicity because it makes you pause and think about it. And as an agent, to get something that makes you pause is actually pretty rare.
2: Yeah. And it sort of, um, it suggests a kind of confidence to open with such a short and simple declarative sentence, you know, like that to me, before I read anything else tells me that this is someone who might be, you know, pretty in control of their craft. You know, I mean, that could be proven wrong in subsequent paragraphs. Right. But, um, you know, these opening lines can really suggest that someone really knows what they're doing.
1: It's kind of like when you walk down the street and you see someone and you're like, there's something about you. There's a story there. Like I'm interested.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's a great metaphor because, um, you know, your, your opening line, you can almost sort of think about it as like the clothes you wear to work or the clothes you wear out in your town. It's not all about that first impression, right? There's more to you than, than how you dress, but it's the first thing that people see. And if when they're making sort of a snap judgment about you, as indeed, you know, agents are, to be frank, um, you know, you kind of want to put your best foot forward.
1: But intuition's really fast, too.
2: I think that's true. I I heard an agent, um, whose name I'm now going to forget, um, on a panel once say that you get to the point where you can almost smell a good manuscript, and I kind of know what she means. Like, you do sort of develop an intuition, I think.
0: Gulp. (laughs) I'm like... And how do you know if your manuscript smells? <laughs> That's the problem, right there.
2: I think you know what. Here's here's what I think because I was just a few minutes ago. I was reading something that I had written out loud to my wife Molly, who who um, used to be an agent and then as a foreign rights scout now. And man, I was really proud of the pages that I had written, but there was some stuff in there that needed to be trimmed. And you can bet that reading it out loud to her. I was hearing the stuff that wasn't funny, that went on too long. Like it just jumped right out at me. So I think the way to like tell if you if you <laughs> if your book is smelling or sm- smelling in the right way is, um, you know, read it out loud. And like, are you excited to read people your opening paragraph? And if you feel like, nah, I kind of want to I can't wait for them to hear the stuff at the end of the page. Then that's where you should be starting.
1: You did mention something in your class about starting as close to the end as possible or as close to the heart as possible. How do you know where that is?
2: Well, um, so starting to the end is starting as close to the end as possible. That's a um, paraphrasing a Kurt Vonnegut quote. Um, you know, he, he was talking about... Um, well, starting as close to the end of your story as possible, so there's not a lot of run-up. You know, I my spin on that is to start as close to the heart of your novel as possible. Um, so, for instance, you know, the opening line of Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man is, I am the invisible man. And the opening word of Lolita is Lolita. Um, you know, so thinking about what is really at the heart of my story. Is it an adventure? Is it about learning a lesson? Is it about, you know the kid in my class that I'm obsessed with, um, you know, really finding what is sort of beating life into your story. What is it all about for you and opening with it, you know, kind of directing our attention, right, you know, spotlight on what you think is most important. Um, and then you have time to go back and kind of give us context or sort of, you know, get us situated in your world, but starting close to the, the heart the theme, the sort of the object the desire of your book is, um, you know, a really great way to open it off in a way that's really compelling.
1: Julie, do you always know where that is in your books? Um.
0: No. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> what what do <don't> we do? <laughs> I just did a huge revision this weekend, and I knocked off five thousand words from the beginning of my current work, and I just sent it off. and 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 because I knocked off the five thousand words, my beta reader was like, she basically said that she noticed a bunch of things she didn't see before because it was mm. buried, and that it's mm. that it is emotionally in the right space now. So that's really resonating with me. Few. Yay. Yeah, that's amazing. You chip away at what is not David or your protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what research can do for a first impression.
2: Okay. So I think it's really important, you know, before you start querying that you do some research, um, not just into, uh, the agents that you might want to query and like their email addresses, but also, you know, what's the best way to submit to agents? You know, am I following their submission guidelines? Um, that's the kind of research that you want to do upfront. And I think, you know, by, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already familiar with some of this research, you know, you're already interested in, What is the culture of publishing books? How do I write an effective query letter? What is the appropriate way to like communicate with an agent? So you're already halfway there. Um, you know, I think that just researching the agent's submission guidelines, um, is you'd think would be everyone's first step. And yet I constantly, every day I get, um, you know, multiple queries from folks who clearly have never just done so much as Google my name. Um, and I, and I know that's the case because, you know, it'll be, you know, dear sirs will be the way the query opens, which is awful for many reasons. Um, or it'll be in a genre that I completely don't represent, or it'll be for, you know, screenplays. I get a lot of those people who want to write movies. And so they think I'm that kind of agent. Um, you know, and those are folks who would just have done no research whatsoever. So they have made a very bad first impression.
1: And one thing we talk about in the class is where to find that line between being someone who's obviously done research and someone who's done a little too much research, and it will make us uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: um, I know that most of us, you know, have Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds, and mo- and uh, many agents are very comfortable um, sort of sharing personal details about their lives, you know, on, on social media and whatnot. Um, however, I think that if in your query, you know, you mentioned that you love that, you know cute dining table set in the background of my Instagram post from two years ago, that's going to be a bit creepy. Um, and, and sort of concern me a little, and, and, you know,
0: and I noticed your, 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 your pinky toe is crooked. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, yes. or,
2: or are, uh, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things are, are, in fact, the things that I would probably dismiss as, as just harmless. Um, but it is a bit weird. And, and I think it sort of sets the wrong tone. Um, you know, so anything, you know, any detail that an agent might put on their resume or in professional capacity, like, oh, we went to the same college or, you know, I see you worked here or you represent this person. All of those kinds of details are great. Or like I heard you on a podcast say that you like this kind of book. Those are all great. I think, um, you know, best steer clear of the more sort of personal, at-home details.
1: So, John, we're listening to you on a podcast, and you like what kind of book? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, I like all kinds of books. Uh, Right now, I am really looking for um, middle grade. I would love to bring on some more middle grade, both, like, kind of contemporary realistic stuff and um, sort of fantastical adventure stuff. Um, and you know, I'm always on the lookout for young adult that has a really great hook. That's the real two second version.
1: So you are a very accomplished literary agent in an awesome office. Did you always envision your life being like this? And what did you picture when you got into the industry and what made you want to join?
2: I knew from a very young age that I wanted to live and work in New York, um, and to do something sort of creative. Uh, so in that capacity, I think that my life looks the way I envisioned it when I was, um, you know, a little kid. But, uh, when I, when I started looking for work after college, I, I looked at publishing, I looked at, um, radio, I looked at, uh, public television, like all these, you know, major money-making ventures. Right. Um, and the job that happened to hire me was a, um, a personal assistant to a, a literary agent for children's books. Um, and I was really excited to be working in publishing. Uh, I had, uh, done sort of student work at my university's, um, little small indie press when I was in college. And I really, really liked the business of books. Um, so I found it really fascinating, but it was really working with him. His name was Scott Trammell. Um, that I realized that not only was agenting the thing that I wanted to um, do that, that really felt right for me. Um, but also that kids books were, were where I wanted to stay. Um, and part of that is that I think everybody who works in kids books or writes kids books on some level really loves kids books. <laughs> you know, no one's in it just for the money. Um, there's a, a real personal passion there and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and I've never regretted it. I mean, I, I love working uh, on the kids side and, and being an agent as well.
1: John, what would you do if you had venture capital? Mm.
2: If I had unlimited venture capital, I would buy a medium sized island and I would make Westworld because because I love cowboys and I love pretending to be a cowboy and I also really love robots. So this would have both.
1: (laughs) I just bought tickets to uh, be more chill. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I. I
0: I'm still processing you in Westworld. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Oh man, it'd be great. I would like to work Such at Westworld. A great show. That would have been um,
0: that would have been amazing. An alternative yeah.
2: universe where I did not become a literary agent, and in this alternative universe, there are also life like robots and a real Westworld. I would go. I would like go write story copy for for Westworld.
0: Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that in mind, with that nimble thinking, you know, robot brain. <laughs> <laughs> what have you changed your mind about in your time in the industry? Like, did you come in like John thinks this and then pivot and now your brain works totally differently, you know, around the industry?
2: Yeah. I would say there were two big shifts for me kind of early on. Um, one was, I remember being on a panel at uh, a writer's conference and the question from the audience was, um, do you have to personally love every book you represent? And um, one of the agents on the panel who is much senior to me, um, you know, said, Oh yes, I absolutely love every project I go out with. And I of course agreed with him, but I was thinking to myself, yeah, right, buddy, come on. Like, (laughs) you know, I don't believe that. Like we sell what sells and, and, you know, our personal tastes are, are sort of, uh, irrelevant. Um, And you know what? He was completely right. And I was just uh, young and dumb. Um, You know, I I really hadn't had too many sales at that point, and I really didn't know how it worked. And the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, stuff that I care personally about that really affects me sells. And, you know, anytime in my career that I've tried to sort of like play the market and say like, well, you know, I don't know if this is particularly for me, but um, I think it's what everyone is looking for, and I think it's going to sell. That has never gone well. Um, you know, and I, I'm proud to say I, I don't do that anymore because, you know, what has shifted for me is this feeling of like, yeah, you got to really trust your own tastes and instincts and, and, and sell what you love. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that probably shifted for me really early on was, um, you know, a real appreciation for a certain kind of writing that some would not consider like literary. You know, I was like an English major and a total snob, I'm sure, when I, I, I started in publishing. Um, and it took me, you know, probably the first year of assisting Scott to come to appreciate like great storytelling. You know, at at first it was all about like, oh, well, is the language beautiful and are there deep themes and metaphors and all this other nonsense. Um, and nowadays, like I'm not really, I don't really care about that stuff. um, as a reader or as an agent, like I want a great story and it can be a quote-unquote literary story. It can be an adventure story. It can be a deep story. It can be a fun story, but it's got to be a great story. Um, so that's something I don't think I really came to appreciate until, you know, I had worked in the business for a little while.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Um, what's one of your early memories of a fun day in New York City?
2: Okay, well, the, <laughs> the thing that pumps into my mind is... Um, really early on when I first moved to New York, uh, I had a lot of time to kill um, and I didn't, you know, didn't have a full-time job yet and I didn't really have a lot of friends in the city at first. And um, It was before my girlfriend moved down to New York. Uh, so I had a lot of time on my hands. And I remember one day just getting off the train at Union Square and looking around and thinking to myself, um, <laughs> it's like this whole city is one giant interactive video game and I can really <laughs> do whatever I want. And there's like, parts that are quiet and parts that are loud and parts that are dirty and parts that are clean. Like there's all kinds of adventures to be had here and it's all, you know, open to me. I can go anywhere and do anything. Um, and I just remember that feeling being exhilarating. And the, and the funny thing of course is I thought of it in terms of being in a video game, you know, some big open world, you know, you can explore all you want thing where when in fact it was just, you know, real life, (laughs) um, But I don't know, just, I think that feeling of like possibility and the bigness of it all really, um, stuck with me, which is probably why that popped into my head all these years later.
0: That's interesting. I can tell, you know, when listening to you talk, you can tell that you think like a writer. Cause that, I mean, that's the writer brain, right? So you're somewhere and all you can see is possibility and story and directions and, you know, pacing, you know, and the tension of New York, um, it's so interesting how, how life is story, video games are story, 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 but it sounds to me that, that you just live it daily.
2: I think, you know, that writer brain you're talking about, that's so cool. And, and I think that is what it is. Um, and I would say that, um, I feel like I kind of forgot that brain for many years and it's now starting to come back to me for, for whatever reason, but it is a great brain to have. Um, because yeah, you really, you you just make so much of the reality around you when you're, when your mind is kind of working out story, you know, and some of the happiest times in my life are, uh, you know, moments where I was walking around after having been, been writing after having written and kind of my brain was still like half processing, whatever it is I had worked on as I kind of like wandered around the, the streets of Brooklyn. Um, and it's a great feeling, you know, it's a great perspective to have on the world, I think.
1: Uh, John, if you were a superhero, what powers would you have?
2: Um, so I've thought about this a lot, as we all do. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I really don't know. I, can, I would really like to be able to fly. But if the superpowers came from some sort of like internal personality trait or leaning or something, I think I'd be a mind reader. Because I think, yeah, I think this is that writer brain thing, Julie. You were talking about a moment ago. Like, I really like to think about what people are thinking, Um, and I think I'm I'm a fairly uh, empathetic person. Um, So I think if you were to like kind of extrapolate from that real real life quality, it would probably be some kind of very creepy mind (laughs) mind reading power.
0: I'm just thinking of True Blood. (laughs) I was like, that would be a lot. Um, really interesting. It's funny, everyone says they can fly. They want to fly. That that, that that's our main theme. And I, I think like in this day and age, you know, the, the idea that we could just jet off and go into the sky and be up there and come back down is really interesting too. Yeah. Yeah, whatever's happening on the ground. You can yes. get okay. a little bit, get some oxygen, get some fresh air. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like a disconnect, right? It's like a desire to be kind of free for, for a couple of minutes and then come back, you know
0: so tell us like what should writers not be afraid of
2: don't be afraid that a stupid mistake is going to ruin your chances um i think that you know we talk a lot about how to write a query letter how to make a good first impression what to do what not to do and it can feel like a million rules to follow and really they're just tips for you know best results and um you know the overarching rule is just like be a professional and compassionate human being as as in all things in life. You know for the most part, and and I think that um, if you just you know behave like yourself in a professional way, you're going to do great. Um, you know, and and all the time I see queries come in that have have goofed in some way. Someone spells my name wrong, or there's a typo in the query, or you know they call something ya and really they mean mg and and all this stuff and you know, uh, it's okay. It really is. Like if I'm compelled by the story and the writing, that stuff isn't going to turn me off. Um, it's just, again, it's best, I think, to put your best foot forward and not let that distracting stuff get in the way. But, you know, don't be afraid of those little mistakes because I think that can be really paralyzing and it's not worth it.
0: I agree. Like it, the, the world definitely feels, you know, like when you're ready, when you should send, you, know, you think you should send, someone tells you to send and then you shouldn't have sent. You know, it, it is a really tough thing, but you just have to have faith that as long as you're a good person and polite and you're trying your best, that it will work out. But it is scary. I agree.
2: And I, I'll tell you what, you know, I I think when I first joined the business, maybe this is something that also changed in my head over the years. Um, I worried that you had to be really aggressive and maybe even like mean to get ahead, especially as an agent. Um And that just was never me. I never felt comfortable with that kind of throw your weight around mentality. You know, I think that um, truly, at least in the kids' book business, the the good people succeed and the the not so good people might have a, a, a moment in the sun, but it doesn't last. You know, it really doesn't in this business. Um, if you're not, if you're not a good, a good person, um, and a compassionate one. So yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, Julie, like just to, to say, like, if you go forward with, you know, an op- open eyes and, and, uh, open heart, right. Um, can't lose.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Open eyes, clear, clear heart. heart.
2: Can't lose. Yeah. I, re- I realized halfway through my speech that I was just doing Friday
0: night. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw the end of that, that series last week. John, where do we find you online?
2: Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at John M. Cusick, like M is in Michael, at foliojr.com. And then I have a personal blog that's just com.
1: You can also find him at manuscriptacademy.com slash john-cusick. And we have his wonderful class coming up this September with a live Q&A on September 25th at 8.30 p.m. New York City time. I can't wait. So that's going to be an opportunity for you to watch the class, think about the class, and then come to
0: John with any questions you might have. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're
1: feeling brave and want to submit your page for our First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the
0: subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.